This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles. If you're into nerd culture, if you're into sports memorabilia, if you're into wrestling memorabilia, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20 to receive 20% off. They got a ton of stuff from all the major sporting leagues, even pro wrestling, old comic books, new comic books, signed stuff. Best thing is they ship worldwide. Even better, they update daily. So please visit them at firstrow.ca. If you're into video games and books, please visit bossfightbooks.com for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like Parappa the Rapper, Minesweeper, Final Fantasy VI, and so many others. Everything you see on their website is available in paperback and ebook format. So please check them out at bossfightbooks.com. And if you want to support me directly, you can visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com or scroll down on today's device you're listening to on. It's better right there in the description. Click on the link. Takes you right to the merchandise store. I got everything from hoodies to travel mugs, phone cases, anything you need or want. It is there. But the most important thing, the freest thing, the best thing to do to support the show is rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. Most specifically, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So this week's guest is the senior gaming editor at Ars Technica and the author of the Boss Fight Book's upcoming release, Minesweeper, Kyle Orland. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here today, my friend. How are you this fine afternoon? I'm doing okay. The sun is shining where you're at? Yeah, the weather's pretty nice and, uh, you know, getting back into the swing of things here, another work week, and uh, happy to be here talking about Minesweeper. Yes, for sure. And before we get into that, so people know who you are, like I mentioned it off the bat, you are also a senior gaming editor. So how did you get into the video game world? Has this always been a passion? Or does this fall on you late? What's what's your origin story, so to speak? Origin story? I guess you'd have to probably go back to when I was like 15 or 16, okay. uh, when I started a Super Mario Brothers fan site. Oh, shit. Back on, back on my AOL web space, or my parents' AOL web space, <laughs> I guess. This back when we had like the 28.8 kilobyte uh, dial-up modem, and we had wow. five megabytes of web space on AOL, and that was like a huge amount of space. How am I ever going to fill that up right? with Mario information? 
And, uh, you know, I just put, it was like pre-Wikipedia, I was just putting all these sorts of lists and, you know, other obsessive stuff on there. Okay. Uh, and people, you know, started emailing me, like, for Mario information. They didn't know I was just some kid with a bunch of Nintendo powers in his closet. <laughs> they thought I was like a Mario expert oh, wow. or something. Okay. And uh, I guess I got hooked on that feeling because I kept mm. uh, going, you know, in college. I started freelancing for places uh, for free. Uh, eventually, I got a gig at Joystick, if you remember that site. I uh, do. Weblogs Inc. Yeah, blog, yeah. Uh, which I was at for a couple years. Oh, wow. Uh, I bounced around to uh, what, Gama Sutra, which is now GameDeveloper.com. Okay. Uh, I, was, I had an MSNBC thing. I had an NPR podcast back before podcasts were anything. <laughs> you know, just when they were starting, I, I feel like we were kind of ahead of the game right. on that. Didn't didn't last very long. Um, and... Uh, you know, then Ars Technica, the, the former gaming editor Ben Kuchera, ended up leaving for the Penny Arcade Report, oh. uh, another failed website, and uh, he recommended me for uh, his position, and I guess the editors liked me, and I guess they still like me, because 11 years later, they're still letting me do it, that's crazy. Uh, which is it's like five lifetimes in this business. But um, I was I'm just really going to say, and that's, that's fantastic, and kudos to you, my friend. Now, has Oh, thank you. Has there ever been a time where you thought you were going on your way out? Not to say you are, obviously, but what, like on their end, as as ours, like you'd be like, "Oh, that's it. This is the time. I've been here too long. It's time to shuffle." I feel I feel like that's coming any day now. But the good thing about Ars Technica is a lot of other sites, like during the boom times, they'll okay. really blow it up and, and hire you know get three times their size, and then there's a yes. bunch of layoffs that come. Ars Technica, you know, we, we're slow to hire, but we're also slow to lay people off, oh, too. Okay. When, when you, if they like what you're writing, uh, they'll, they'll let you do it without a lot of uh, interference, and uh, they keep things very stable. You know, it's a private company, so it doesn't have to chase uh, stock market, stockholders. Sure. And uh, we have a union there now, oh, wow. uh, thanks, which, uh, so we've uh, got a pretty good contract that we're negotiating again. Uh, you know, I really can't complain. If I can do it 11 more years, I'll be... Uh, the luckiest person in the whole business, probably. That's fantastic. Now, you mentioned a lot of websites already failed and gone to pasture, as they say. Mm -hmm. But there's still a ton of competition out there when it comes to video game news and reviews on the on the internet, right? So what sure. makes Ars Technica different and stand out and a must-visit compared to all the other sites? I'd say we really are tailored for our uh, heavily techie audience. Mm. Uh, you know, we'll cover things like, you know, emulation or uh, retro games or, um, you know, PC games from a perspective of people who really want to get deep into the tech. We, we don't, you know, get too into the weeds. We don't use jargon uh, too much or try not to. But sure. we so we want it to be understandable to everyone. But we also okay. don't want to shy away from, you know, getting into the technical details. And uh, I feel like our audience uh, really likes that. We're one of those rare websites that people actually still type into the address bar. You remember ArsTechnica.com instead sure. of just finding Twitter links or Facebook links. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, hopefully that can last. And, uh, you know, our audience is really our best feature. The comments section, I actually like to read, believe it or not, oh, which wow. I can't say about any other site on the Internet. Really? Um, I love our readers. It's true. it's true. And especially when it comes to entertainment in any forms, you always have those negative posts that it's like, okay, why Why do you even get out of bed to do this? Like, what's wrong with you? Keep that shit to yourself, right? If, if we have trolls like that, we have really good moderators that, that oh, okay, keep things uh, going. He'll, he'll smack them down and keep the, keep the conversation uh, on the right track. So, okay, I got to know before we get into the book, mm -hmm. is Minesweeper your favorite game of all time? Is this why you write, wrote this book? <laughs> I wouldn't say that. It's it might be the 
one of the games I've put the most hours into just because oh. you know when you, just because when you play one game of Minesweeper, you know, you end up playing 50, 100 games and, you know, suddenly two hours is gone and you're like, what what happened? Right. Uh, and I've had, you know, I haven't been playing Minesweeper consistently for the last 30 years, but every every few years, I'd say, I get into one of those monomaniacal Minesweeper times where for months I'll just be trying to get a, a better time, just trying to get back into fighting weight. And every time I do that, I feel <laughs> like I'm getting a little better. Like, oh, I'm, I I, I my logic is getting a little faster or my hand-eye coordination is a little better than it was, right. you know, a few years ago. And I hope that can keep up because I'm, I'm 40 years old now and I feel like I'm getting maybe to that hump where any game with hand-eye coordination is going to oh, start getting harder. It's tough, my friend. I'm telling you, it's now scary. that I'm in my mid-40s, I've noticed a decline. Like, mm-hmm. Or maybe it's my own fault because as soon as I hit my mid-30s, I started playing everything on easy because the time factor. Uh, so I wanted to yeah, fly yeah. through everything to see the story. You, you know what I mean? So maybe it's that too, but oh no, man. It's like even when it comes to like any type of first-person shooter now, good luck with that. I can't aim. I can't. I'll be like the guy in the corner shooting the wall. Like, you know what I mean? Nah, that's not for me anymore. Right, right. I'm, t- I'm hoping it can keep me sharp like, you know, the Daily Sudoku or the Daily oh. Yeah, that's something. true. You know, it's it's like it's it's like a good five minute brain break. Uh, you know, whatever age you are, I'd say. So, what is your favorite game genre then to play on your free time? Uh, I think I'd go back to Mario. You know, back when I started that Mario fan sites because I, I love uh, everything Mario. Um, probably Mario Odyssey is is the top. That uh, really that, that, might just, that might just be recency bias, but I feel okay. like it's just so imaginative and there's just so much stuff to do and. Uh, it's really fast paced. Um, Mario 64 holds a special place in my heart just because it introduced me to 3D games, okay. uh, even, even though it's a little more dated now. And uh, of the 2D ones, I'd say Mario World. Uh, if I can give you, if I can give you a three part answer in just one series. No, that, uh, those are great picks because I loved Odyssey, but to me, it it felt like a Mario game, but it didn't because uh, mm-hmm. Galaxy. F- was different, but it still felt like a Mario game, right? And I could sure. compare Galaxy to Odyssey because it's sort of in that vein because it's the open 3D, right? So I, I would prefer Odyssey on that bit. But Mario 64, the problem with me was I never played it when it came out. And uh, the first time I played it was when the, um, I think the All-Star Edition came out on the Switch last year. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I almost threw that up. I never felt so angry and like a two-year-old when I played Mario 64 for the first time. It's not the best conversion on the no. Switch, especially especially the camera controls don't right? feel as good. Uh, if you use if you use a regular N sixty four controller, I feel like it's a little better. Oh, okay. Um, like because because yeah, then you have the buttons instead of the right stick. That's kind of you expect to be moving more accurately, I guess. Um, but yeah, and a lot of that is probably nostalgia because you know that was. You know, it really introduced me to 3D platforming games. I, mm. You know, probably there was probably two months where that was like the only game I played, just figuring out how 3D worlds work. You know, and I know. And the last 25 years has been uh, just seeing what people can do with that. So the fir- your first experience is always going to be a special place uh, for me, at least. I, for you, I guess, uh, be some other game. Well, yeah, I, I don't remember what game it was that I made that 3D. I, no, it was Resident Evil. That's what it was. When I ah. played Resident Evil for the first time on PlayStation 1 was mm-hmm. right after, because I had a, a Super Nintendo, and then I did the jump to PS1. 
So I was like, oh my God. And then that's it. It was game over. And same thing. Resident Evil 1 is, part 2 is probably my favorite of all of them. But part 1 holds a special part in my heart because it was the first one like I played. But again, you go back, those controls, controls, the camera angles, everything is just so horrible. I'm so glad they made Mm -hmm. the remakes and the The, reboots. So I think that's how you do it for a video game. Bring back those old games that had clunky controls and clunky cameras and reform it in today's eyes. And I think you always have a masterpiece because then you get the nostalgia factor and you get the new people playing it. Yeah, I really hope Nintendo does like a Super Mario All-Star style thing for where they actually revamp some of these mm. older 3D games. But, you know, then you see they release just these bare bones versions and for $50 and they sell uh, to everyone. So I don't see them doing that anytime soon no because look what happened with metroid right there's a prime example no pun intended uh, but the <laughs> the metroid coming out they dropped it for 50 bucks and it's pretty much the same game just up and resolution is better and all that fun stuff right but it's yeah much the same I, game. Feel like that, I feel like that was a little more tailored to the switch rather than really just throwing up a rom file ah, I see. um but yeah it's uh, there's better and worse uh, ways to do it for sure okay so the big question on hand then my friend why a book on mine because on Minesweeper, because I thought, like, how is someone going to write approximately 200 pages about Minesweeper? This is going to be like a 10-minute book about the game. Then it must be some, like you said, nostalgia factor behind it or something where he's going to go into his deep life and maybe he was at war and then the mines and then all this and that. But it wasn't, obviously, and it was fantastically done, my friend. It was obviously a combination of the early PC, of the early Windows, early Microsoft, that entertainment pack all woven into one big compilation and again fantastic my friend oh thank you yeah you know when i was when I was trying to figure out what to pot, pitch for boss fight books uh, this season yeah i thought about games that i've played a lot and there are a lot of those and you know some of them there have been you know they've written been written about ad nauseum it's hard to find something that's going to be new or interesting that's true too. and um for a lot of the other games for some of the games i figured well there's probably not enough to write about uh, for this. There's probably it, it's too simple a game. Uh, maybe I won't, you know, badmouth these games or anything. But then mm. when I thought about Minesweeper, I thought this must be the game that has the highest ratio of aggregate hours played to aggregate words written about it in the history <laughs> of games. Um, you know, there were four billion copies of this game distributed to Windows owners between 1992 and 2012. And hundreds of millions of players spending, you know, billions of hours easily. Yep. And no one has really written about this game in the in-depth way uh, that it deserves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then I started doing a little research when I was thinking about doing the pitch. And, you know, I found a few websites uh, about it. The Authoritative Minesweeper uh, is one that was a great resource. It uh, kind of chronicles all the different versions and really focused on the high score chase angle gotcha. of it uh, you know people who were uh not just wanting to get their personal record on their own machine but the world record and comparing them to other people and that was a fascinating story in and of itself yep. uh when i found out you know they were breaking the random number generator and uh trying to kind of get it right in the spirit of the game with that so that was one angle uh then i found out that in the 90s workplaces and governments actually were scared of Minesweeper, uh, along with Solitaire. You know, they thought it being included on these work and uh, government machines was going to encourage people to goof off. And, you know, it wasn't just Doom and Mortal Kombat. There was this moral panic about these simple casual games uh, sapping our national productivity. (laughs) 
And then I tracked down some interviews with the, after I pitched the book, I tracked down interviews about the making of the game and found out, you know, that early Microsoft was not really into mm-hmm. these games. You think of them as the Xbox company now. Right? But back then they had, you know, Flight Simulator and then they were, they only had to grudging respect for games. They had to be dragged along to even get this Windows Entertainment Pack. And that was the whole storyline too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you put that all together, yeah, uh, it, it turns into a book, uh, surprisingly enough no and it's so true and those are like, like you said the three main points that obviously I'm, we're going to touch on th- throughout the hour for sure but it's just crazy like, and you brought it up the last thought was microsoft everyone again associated with xbox pretty much top three of the video game world like you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh, depending where you are in which region right but it's like to think back then i think you put it in the book that what was it you mentioned that less than a thousand games were released on a pc in the nine in 1990 and then like, like six hundred or so, yeah. And then eight thousand alone on Steam in twenty nineteen. Did you think the video game world was going to boom like that and that quickly? Uh, I could I, in the nineties. I could not have predicted that. Right. I, I remember, you know, back in those days when you had video game magazines, they could pretty much cover almost every console game yeah. that came out. Exactly. And, you know, if you just read one monthly magazine, you would yeah. know everything. <laughs> and, and to think of that now. Is different. Uh, yeah, part of it is just digital distribution that really, you know, you don't have to pay for the shipping and the, the CD manufacturing and everything. That's a big and, point. But part, of, but part of it is just the generation that grew up with games now has access to these tools to make games very easily, where mm-hmm. before you needed specialized coding experience and, uh, you know, very expensive computers. Now, you know, anyone with an iPhone can really uh, throw together a game and put right? it out. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's hard, you know, us old timers, we remember what it was like in the '90s and the '80s, uh, where you know, it, access to games was a rare and magical thing. Yeah. You had to pay, you know, fifty or sixty dollars or even more for a, for a boxed game. You had to install it, and you know that was before inflation. Uh, that was a lot of money, and there weren't that many games out there. So you know, mm-hmm. finding the good ones was you know a precious thing. And yeah, today the the free-to-play games and the sheer variety of games and the ease of, you know, connecting to other players and uh, just setting them up and everything. Uh, you know, I re- I sound like I'm a million years old at telling people to get off my lawn, but uh, I think the kids today really don't know how good they have it yep. and how easy it is to, to get access to quality games. And Minesweeper was kind of the first taste of that when I look back. It's the game that if you had a PC, it was just there. Uh, you didn't have to download. You didn't even have to download anything. You didn't have to go to a store and then pick out a box and figure out, you know, all right. the instructions. It's it was casual gaming before years before casual gaming uh, became a thing, and uh, you know that earns it a place in history in my book. No, it does, and uh, especially when you started talking about like all my memories started flooding back from the nineties when you started <laughs> talking about DOS and Windows three point I was like. Hey, I'm an original DOS guy. Like, I did everything on DOS. I despised Windows until 97 came out. Then, obviously, I made the jump and it was game over, right? The rest is history. But I refused. You resisted Windows 3.0, Windows 3.1. Yes, I only went on it when it was specifically Windows-based stuff that you had to do on there, right? Like, I think I had, like, some kind of... wave editor on there or something to edit music and stuff so i do that on windows and then i would tinker around with windows and then i started having fun with it right but everything just came back and uh, like it's funny how i hated dos back then i mean i hated windows back then and i loved dos and uh, like the hardships of working within dos even where it wasn't as friendly user 
Mm-hmm. Versus now, I can't look back thinking I would never, ever try to learn DOS again. Like, you know what I mean? Windows is so much easier. The clicking, like, people don't even realize. Minesweeper, Solitaire, all that was to learn how to use a friggin' mouse. Like, you know what I mean? How crazy is that? Yeah, it helped. It definitely helped people uh, learn a mouse. There's, there's one story in the book where uh, one of the people at the Microsoft team was doing trainings and people would pick up the mouse and they would, like, talk into it. Or they would, <laughs> or they would put it no on way. the wall. Or they would put it on the wall, or they would use it like a laser pointer. That's and try hilarious. And you get it low, you put it down on the mouse pad, and you move it around. That and, is And, you know, funny. I don't, when you look into it, it's not precisely why these games were created, but it became a kind of a justification for, oh, if, if someone asks, oh, why are these games on the system? You're like, you're like oh, uh, you know, you can teach people how to use the mouse. And then you know, people grumble like, oh, okay, I guess it's fine for that. Uh, and... Yeah, the interesting thing about Minesweeper is it's one of the games, rare games that use the right mouse button, too. Right. Um, because if, you, if you're yeah. used to a Mac, the one-button click, you know, there were some things you could do with that. Uh, something to show off that the power of two <laughs> mouse, mice, mouse buttons. You know, it seems silly today when every, every PC gamer is uh, born with a keyboard and mouse in their hands, and, you know, it's uh, very natural. Uh, but back then, you really had to show people why... You would use need this pointing device and what you could do with it, and this simple game was a, a real good example. And it's true, like even the factor, like you said, playing games back then. Yeah, you need to install them. You need to do this. Majority of people's computers wouldn't work. No one would be up to date like how it is today. You couldn't go out and buy a new chip to upgrade it right right away. Like you know what I mean. So if you didn't buy that game when you bought your PC, I guess because a lot of back then there was a lot of clones too. So it wasn't yeah. just like IBM uh, type stuff, right? So it was like if it wasn't day one out of the box and day one game, it's not going to work. And plus, we really didn't have compatible controllers yet. We couldn't use mm-hmm. mice like the mouse, nothing. So it was all keyboard arrows, and and then you have to figure out how to play if it didn't come with. Int- oh man! Like yeah, again, it, like how you, you know, said, oh, these guys are spoiled. Direct- <laughs> Before DirectX in Windows ninety five, there it is. Everything, yeah, yes. you couldn't you couldn't be sure that it was going to work on your system unless you really squinted at the tiny print on your box. And um, and plus, in those days, you really couldn't do. Like if you wanted to put like a Super Mario Brothers game on your on your PC, it, you know they weren't really built for that. It didn't no. have the APIs. It That's didn't, true. You know, especially on Windows, you couldn't do it. So and even the sound, uh, right? Yeah, there wasn't. Uh, you know, you didn't know what sound hardware people had for quite a while. Um, so that kind of led to these simple games like Solitaire and Minesweeper, all the Windows Entertainment Pack games. They they were simple by necessity because there was only so much you could do on windows in those early days. And, uh, I feel like that constraint kind of made those games better. Uh, you know, you can't just make, uh, the wildest simulation of your dreams. You need to make something that people are going to be able to get into in in five seconds. And if if they click around, they can figure out what's going on. Yeah. And I think that if, uh, but again, it was in its infancy, obviously at the time, looking back hindsight, right. But if PCs or even any type of personal computers, were easily accessible and able to play anything across the board, I don't think we'd be in a console war. Everything would be PC. (laughs) Yeah, I I think the consoles definitely benefited from being the easy plug-and-play option, whereas, yeah, I was was really against PC gaming as a kid because it seemed so cumbersome to just get started and to to know what was out there. Um, And and it's so expensive, too, to get into a PC. It was like, you know, thousands of dollars in in 90s money. I know. you know that was part of the problem for Microsoft at the mm. time. You know, people saw people saw these PCs as 
business uh, computers or, you know, things for a science lab or education. Right. Uh, and it was just starting to get affordable enough that some upper upper middle class people could get them in their homes mm-hmm. and be like, oh, I can, it'll help with, uh, you know, junior's homework or I'll be able to do my spreadsheets on it. <laughs> and as I detail in the book, you know, there was one small team at uh, Microsoft that saw the success of Solitaire on Windows 3.0 and they're like, wow, you know, games might be the wedge we need to get mm-hmm. kids to like, not just, you know, use computers for homework, but actually beg their parents, oh, I saw this cool game on Windows. We need a Windows PC because I want to play Minesweeper because I want to play uh, Jezball or Ski Free right. or some or Tetris. The, the Windows That's version right. of Tetris was in that first entertainment pack. Yep. That's crazy. You know, the, and these, you know, these were not the highest end games. These were not the, the kind of games that uh, kids are going to be demanding next to Doom on under the Christmas tree. <laughs> But it's right. something for kids to get excited about a PC. It, get, it gets them in the door. It gets them using a mouse. And uh, it, you know, it really worked. The, the entertainment pack uh, became a huge hit. And of course it did. And like you said, everything on there was pretty much like puzzle-based sort of games. And the like the godfathers of puzzles on the PC, because now like the Candy Crushers of the world have to bow down to these type of games, right? But it's yeah. like, it's funny how... Minesweeper is like one of the original, but then you brought up a hide and seek game, and I never thought of that of it being a hide. I just considered the pure puzzle, pure puzzle. But it is; it's a hide and seek type of game. So, yeah. if it's not the original puzzle, is there an original puzzle? And then through your research, did you find anything of what the original first puzzle game ever on either a PC or a console is? Uh, I don't, it depends on what you define as a as a puzzle game. Um, the, the there were a few I found from like the 70s creative computing magazine oh shit were like, yeah that they were um like hidden object games i guess uh, okay. you, they were te- text-based you know you, you you drop a depth charge and it says how close you are to the submarine or something right uh, and, uh you know so that basic thing and hunt the wumpus which is a uh, kind of uh prototypical example that one you're going through caves and you, you can smell the wumpus nearby so that's the, the idea of adjacent danger uh is kind of there but Really, uh, you have to go to the ZX Spectrum. Uh, there's a game called Mind Out that uh, okay. this British British programmer made, and uh, you know he was writing in BASIC, and so he made a game on a grid because that's what BASIC could handle. And yeah, he had the idea of walking through a minefield, and every space it tells you how many mines are next to you. Um, that game didn't have the diagonal mines, which was a big, you know, difference. But uh, the basics of just carefully stepping through and and figuring out using logic uh what's nearby uh, a lot of that was there in the the early 80s uh you know mind out was a a decent success and you know as everyone did in the 80s uh everyone just copied the the good ideas that they saw you know you port it to the ibm pcs the 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 dos clones or or mainframe and uh you know a few people copying uh one of those copies (laughs) is what happened uh at microsoft uh it was a training exercise for some of the programmers who were getting used to OS2 and Windows. I don't know if you remember OS2 or any of your listeners out there. It's going back. Yeah. And so, that, <laughs> you know, it was, it was just a fun... These were not game programmers. These were just uh, Microsoft Office programmers that were looking for right. uh, something, uh, a small pro- project to up their coding skills. And then they put it on the Microsoft network. And uh, the rest is history. People become hooked. And then uh, the... Uh, 
the team at Microsoft that's looking for games, they say, oh, here's Minesweeper. Uh, we know it's, it's popular inside Microsoft. Let's, uh, let's put it out there. So what do you think the three top best-selling puzzle games are? I would say it would be Minesweeper, <laughs> Solitaire, and I, I hate to say because I fucking so hate this game and I hate considering it a video game, Candy Crush. I think Tetris might have Candy Crush beat. Oh, uh, I forgot about Tetris is a good one, yeah. Especially the mobile version. I think it sold, sold hundreds of millions. Yes, of you're comp- right. Or like free downloads. Um, and uh, yeah, and Solitaire, I, I guess you consider that a puzzle game. A lot of this gets into where the, where the genres stop and, and where they end. I know, because it could be a um, card game, right? Yeah, you call that a card game. Um, but yeah, the, these puzzles, you know, it's, it's, Minesweeper seems like one of those ideas that you would, you would see next to Sudoku in the newspaper. Oh. And it kind of... And it, but again, it kind of surprised me that there wasn't that it wasn't like an ancient pen and paper game right. or, or card game like Solitaire. But now, if you look on Amazon, there are actually uh, algorithmically generated Minesweeper books oh, wow. where it it gives you like basic like basic information about where some mines are and, and some numbers, and you have to fill in the rest of the information and where the bombs are, and then you can check your answer in the back. So it's kind of it kind of got went the opposite way of what you might expect. It went from video game to pen and paper game, where usually I feel like puzzles go the other way. Yeah, that is so true. And again, you, you brought it up and the score chasing it's, this was crazy for me that there was even a community of people around the world that were trying to get the best score, even to the point where the game was considered broken. And some people were thought cheating. Now, before we get into any of that, and obviously people know from, uh, reading your book but i don't really didn't get your stand if you considered it cheating or not but for me myself <laughs> if the rules aren't clear if you could do it within the realm of the game without reprogramming it how is it called cheating so i, I think maybe we should back up a little and explain okay explain go for it please I, I mean some people have read the book but so you're, you're referring to uh the dream board yes, controversy of course which, yeah so it was wild to me when I when I discovered this in my research that um, basically if if it's, there's a perfectly randomly generated version of Minesweeper, uh, if you do the math, there's something like you know 150 followed by 15 zeros, 25 zeros, like more <laughs> more atoms than there are on the surface of the Earth, right. something or something ridiculous. That's crazy. And if you know if if everyone is starting a new game of Minesweeper every second of their lives. No one's ever going to see the same board again. So then when you have this community of people sharing their boards, sharing their high scores, at one point uh, in the late 90s, people found we're setting high scores on exactly the same board. Mm. And, uh, you know, so something's going wrong here. Uh, they, they, ended up calling it, they ended up calling it the dream board because uh, <laughs> when it, it, it it's an intermediate board that only requires a very small number of clicks because there's huge areas that are filled with, you know, zeros that kind of cascade out with just one click. Right. And that means, and that means you can finish it really quickly. Uh, so that, so, you know, it's a dream board for that reason, but also because you can dream of getting it, uh, because people were getting it. Um, eventually they, they did research into this and they found that there were some cycles going through the random number generator, you know, it wasn't, wasn't perfect random number generation. So every, I forget, like 25,000, 26,000 games, okay. you would get you would get this same board, and you would know it was coming because the boards before it would also be identical. Oh, so there's a tell sign, gotcha. Yeah, there was a vagary of the Windows algorithm, 
So, you know, the, the, I guess the theory of Minesweeper, like any roguelike game, is that you don't know what's coming. Yeah. Every time you start a new game, it's going to be random, and you can't prepare for it. You can't do a speed run by memorizing things like you can in you know Super Mario Brothers exactly. or something, where every input is going to be the same. So that's the ideal. But with the Dream Board, you can memorize where, where the mines are in this board. You can know that it's coming because of this random number generation bug. And then you can just click really fast in the places you need. And people were getting ridiculous times, you know, 10 seconds, 9 seconds, times that would be <laughs> functionally impossible if you weren't prepared for just this board. Exactly. Now, like, to get back to what you were saying, you know, is this cheating? Uh, I'd say, you know, it's definitely against the spirit of the game. Okay. It's, it's the kind of I'll thing... I'll agree to that, yes. <laughs> it's the kind of thing where you don't... You don't want to reward people for this. The, the, the term of art in the community was unfair prior knowledge. Mm. And uh, the word unfair is in there for a reason. You know, it, knowing what's coming in Minesweeper is uh, the fairness of the game is, is totally thrown out the window. Um, but there were people on these early message boards and guest books arguing that, no, you know, I'm not cheating here. This is how the game was made. I'm not, you know, using any external tools. Exactly. I'm not uh, using... Uh, you know, some sort of hack. I'm not using some sort of uh, modified mouse or something. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, this is the game. Um, I think what it really comes down to, though, is if this is not cheating, then the game is just awful. You know, <laughs> it, it's it's not. It's obviously not the way it was intended to be played. For right. one, and for another, if if you're changing the game from oh, I'm using my logic and hand-eye coordination to go as fast as possible to oh, I've memorized one board and I'm I'm gonna wait until it comes up and then click really fast it's i don't i don't know what the analogy would be in sports but it, it'd be like if someone made a bat that could uh, you know hit a home run every time and it was technically uh a bat that you know didn't break any rules somehow yeah yeah and you're like oh well you know it's not against the rules to hit a home run every time but you know you've ruined the game it's no longer baseball is no longer interesting at all so i think for the sake of the game i'd have to call that cheating yeah but then at the same time that's why we have the rules that evolve like and even in regular sports because people get faster people get better and like you said find like loopholes to get around certain stuff Mm -hmm. so i liked the fact after that certain boards were banned from being able to put up the high score because to me that's fantastic because it's true how do you decipher and figure out if someone is playing the sport for the first time versus if they were there clicking 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 and waiting for it Right, yeah, that was part of the whole problem. They, the, the community actually got together, you know, 11 or 12 people. They called themselves the Windmine Congress to try and figure out. <laughs> that was so sounds, awesome. I love that part, man. You know, it's any, any sub, subculture is going to have these uh, people who, who take it upon themselves. To and you know what's funny? In my head, I was picturing them around, like, because I'm a huge Simpsons fan, when uh, Homer Simpson became part of, uh, what was that called? I can't... Uh, that secret cult or whatever, and they were all the stonecutters, and they're all sitting around the table. That's what I was picturing: guys just sitting there, all perched up with their hats on, just like yeah, yeah. like like powdered wigs, like the Continental Congress, right? Uh, Yeah, but no, these were just guys sending emails back and forth. That's hilarious. And uh, you know, they're yeah, they were they had these questions that you you brought up. How do we fix this problem? You know, we could ban the board, we could ban the board, but then people are just going to find some other board that's really fast. That's true too. Um, 
And also, that's unfair to people who just come across the board naturally. And how do you know if they had unfair prior knowledge or not? You can't, you know, look into their minds. And you know, they could just uh, they could they could sandbag or they could pretend. Um, so you know, they debated this back and forth for about a year, and they came out with this kind of anodyne statement about, oh, we're we're going to discourage people from doing this. You know, it's a small community. We we just we want to trust each other, things like that. Yeah. Um, but really, the solution was was more technical than that. Uh, they people made new versions of Minesweeper that had better random number generators. Ah, because okay. I was going to ask that. Yeah, did they like fix mm-hmm. that problem in future iterations of it? Right. Yeah. My, so Microsoft never did actually. They oh. didn't, they didn't really care about this, but, <laughs> but the community the community made their own versions okay. that were kind of tuned for competitive play here. Gotcha. And yeah, they fixed these problems, and they also added you know stat tracking and other things to, okay. to make it uh, more tuned for this really for really serious minesweeper players um so yeah that gets kind of back into the culture of cloning that led to minesweeper in the first place people iterating and fixing the issues with earlier versions and and making them a little better um but yeah if if that hadn't happened and you know it was we were just stuck with this version with only you know twenty five thousand different boards uh i don't think there would be any competitive minesweeper uh after that i think people would just get bored with trying to get the best time on that dream board and, uh, you know, not it, uh, they're it, uh, having an unbeatable time. Um, you know, I, I, thinking about it, I, I, it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of, um, in swimming when they had those, uh, swimsuits that kind of gave people better times. I don't know if you remember this yes. from a decade. Yeah. yeah. And everything was, you know, being broken and uh, it, people were, some people, you know, these were obviously high level, competitors too but it was the swimsuit that was getting in this yeah. edge and then yeah. and then they get rid of the swimsuit again it's kind of like fixing the problem again so that might be the best uh, analogy i've got no and that's perfect so i gotta know then what's your high score on intermediate <laughs> i can get i think i got a 45 a 44 which you know it's, that's I, good I'm, I'm no slouch at it um but yeah i'm not uh, the people who the world record i think is uh down to like six seconds or something i'm never i can't even fathom that and it's hilarious because again i was obviously younger when it came out so 90s i was about in my i was 12 12 ish so when this came out i had no idea how to play this game obviously Uh i was clicking everywhere i thought it was just random luck and that right then but here's the problem i never really got back into it once i knew how to play it properly Uh because then it was like i don't i I don't see the the lore and playing this like okay so what i get to uncover them whatever like you know what i mean (laughs) so i never really got back into it and it's it's funny how there's like you said millions and billions of people who've played this and it was part of that entertainment pack with so many other great titles now looking back like even mahjong we didn't even touch on that the 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 original iteration i think was called taipai or Taipei or something. Hey, yeah. There you go. Like that, to me, that was one of my favorite games growing up because that was like huh? the, the match game. Like you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. what child doesn't like to play the match game? That's like one of the first games <laughs> you teach someone. That's true. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, yeah, a lot of people uh, when I bring up Minesweeper, they're like, "Oh, uh, there's two reactions I get. It's, it's either, oh, I tried that for a little bit and I never, I never could figure it out. I thought it was a guessing game." Or, oh, I became obsessed with that for like a month. You know, I, I, I had to beat my high score. There's there's really no in-between. Uh, people would either, you know, if they tried Minesweeper, they give up immediately or they get hooked. Uh, those are the two uh, kind of poles that I encounter there. And, you know, I talked to someone at Microsoft and he, he kind of says that, you know, just... 
the fact that there's numbers in the game kind of scares people oh. off. You know, you click and you get you see a one and then a two, and people immediately think, "Oh, this is a math game." Right. I'm bad at math. I hate math. Why would I play a game that's about math? And uh, then they'll go to solitaire, which is just cards <laughs> and it's more inviting. Exactly. But you know, it's not really about math. It's about logic. It's about figuring out things from limited information. And, you know, there, if you go into the help file right there, it gives mm-hmm. you these examples. It, it outlines how to play. So many, no one, no one did that. No one no, I know. bothered going for help. I, I was one of them. You know, it's not, and it's not like it came with, you know, an instruction manual or anything. So you kind of had to learn from someone telling you how to play, uh, really. It kind of knowledge of this game may, mainly passed from person to person when you, you, you know, uh, you would have to show someone uh, physically how to do it and that explain what the numbers meant. You know, for me, it was my mom who, who taught me how to play this uh, one day when I was I was sitting around in her office. There you go. And, and, you know, the rest is history from there. Yeah, but one thing you did not bring up right now, you said logic, you said way figure. There's a lot of luck to this too because sometimes you have to take that chance and I've always hated any <laughs> games that revolve around luck. Luck yes. and like cheap deaths and stuff like that that just force you to lose on purpose. I can't stand that because now it's not entertainment anymore. Like, you know what I mean? You're getting yeah. me aggravated. So maybe that's another reason why I really didn't like Minesweeper because of the luck factor. And then you pointed it out also, the roguelike factor too. And it makes so much sense. I didn't think of this when I was younger, but now I hate any roguelike type of game. As soon as I, right. I see rogue or even roguelite, I'm done. See you later. The only one I actually enjoyed a little bit was Rogue Legacy. That one was, they did it pretty good because it, it is a roguelike, but you could still carry some stats over. So it doesn't always seem like you're starting from scratch. And that's where my problem lies with rogue games, starting from scratch. Yeah, at least with Minesweeper, I find that, you know, when when you die, you do have to start over, but you've only wasted like 45 seconds, 60 seconds, so whatever. You, it's not like in, in some roguelike games where you, you, you spend an hour <sighs> on a run and you've got a really good thing and then you die at the final boss and then you're all the way back at the beginning right? and you lost all your items. And I like that. But, uh, yeah, you get into a good point with Minesweeper, too. Oh, so many games come down to that 50-50 uh, at the end where it's like it's either this one or that one. Um, I like there's a version uh, you can play at Minesweeper.online called No Guessing Mode, where oh. every game every game is guaranteed to be pure logic. You, you click the first place and it'll give you, uh, you know, uh, it, it'll give you a few blocks that you can figure out and... It, it just lays things out so that there is no guessing involved. And that's my favorite way to play now because it kind of gets rid of that uh, frustration factor. Um, you know, Microsoft, when they were making this game, obviously not something they were thinking about. But, uh, yeah, it's not, not an uncommon complaint. Now, another complaint I have. Not a complaint, but I mm-hmm. take offense when people say things like video games are mindless pieces of entertainment like how again microsoft saw video games like addictive like time wasters and to me growing up in the 90s with older parents being uh boomers that really didn't show love towards their kids you know how much i've learned from video games just alone like geography history like stuff like that over the years even hand-eye coordination like you know all these things you learn as a child through video games and to just throw it out there and saying it's mindless and now you see multi-billion dollar fucking industry now it's seeping into movies now everyone's saying that that's it the next wave of this movie trend is going to be or the next marvels are going to be now video game movies like you know what i mean it's like uh, i love to say it eat it old people like fuck off <laughs> it's it's you know it's the kind of thing that happens with every art form 
I feel, you know, people, people were worried true. about, you know, the waltz uh, back in the day or rock and roll music. Yeah. You know, it's always a generational thing where you're not uh, familiar with it. Um, but I guess that this gets into the moral panic section of the book where, you know, you found a lot of people who would not never seek out games on their own. An older generation that, you know, very serious business-like people, right. maybe, you know, maybe they would play solitaire with a real deck of cards, yeah. but they would never... They would never go buy Microsoft Flight Simulator <laughs> and put it and put it on their work computer or you yeah. know even do or Doom or anything like that. They're not interested. Right. But then if if it's pre-installed on there, if it's on every machine, and then they're they're bored one day or they're they're looking through the start menu and they see games and they're like, oh, Minesweeper, or Solitaire, what are what are these? And it led to a lot of unlikely people uh, becoming addicted uh to these simply simple games uh you know charles krauthammer the uh political columnist wrote a column about uh, getting hooked on minesweeper uh jk rowling said she used it uh, as a replacement for smoking yeah that's right uh, i remember that part yeah, yeah. Uh, you know bill clinton uh admitted to a uh he played solitaire with the real deck of cards okay. not uh, not the computer version but uh, he, he admitted to that too and um bill gates got hooked on the game i was gonna uh, say before it came out, that's one of my favorite uh, anecdotes in the book. He, he took it off his machine to avoid the temptation, but then he would sneak into the office of the president and uh, get records there because he just that compulsion How crazy. Uh, was there even before he, he was the first Minesweeper addict uh, because no one else uh, right uh, had access to it. And uh, there's a funny story about um, Melinda French, who uh, eventually became Melinda Gates, his okay. wife. They were dating at the time, and she sent an email to the team and said, please do not share any advancements in the Minesweeper record with Bill. He has very important things to do with his time and oh. he cannot be wasting time on Minesweeper. Oh so that my goodness. goes to show you that even, even, you know, a billionaire with uh, a lot of important things to do uh, and, you know, access to much more entertaining things you would think could still get hooked on this simple game and just trying to be the best. And again, it's so crazy. Everyone knows, obviously, who Bill Gates is now. But at the time, him literally putting a stamp on it by getting addicted to it should show mm -hmm. right there alone that the other execs that, hey, maybe there is something going on here. Like, you know what I mean with this? Let's take it and run. And it, who knows what could have been if they started earlier, like how you said. As soon as they started coming out with Windows, if they had these games already available, what the Xbox and the Microsoft name would be today, right? I think it would have surpassed everything by now. Well, yeah, Win you know, Windows Entertainment Pack was, was the best they could do at the time, and it, it kind of showed people, okay, you can do simple games on Windows, but yeah, if they'd really, you know, it wasn't, it took till Windows 95 for it to really get standardized enough that you could have uh, big-name games, I guess, uh, complex games that you know would work on Windows. Yeah, if they had focused on that from 1990, if Microsoft had really gotten behind making the games instead of just saying, yeah, okay, if you want to put games on DOS, you can. Uh, yeah, they could have they could have surpassed uh, the NES. They could have uh, made PC gaming uh, much more of a, than a niche much earlier on. Yeah, no kidding. Sure. Has there ever been a game that you've been addicted to, as Mr. Bill Gates has been to Minesweeper over the years? <laughs> I've been addicted to Minesweeper like that, probably periodically for months at a time. Oh, and then okay. I and then I get over it. But um, yeah, I'd say uh, Spelunky was one game. If oh. we go back to roguelikes. You know, well, you're not I, the first I, one. I know a lot of people <laughs> that got addicted to this game. I'm, Hundreds and hundreds of hours, and I've only beaten it twice. Oh wow! I, I, I you know, that's why that's why I, it's right on the edge of being just hard enough that you know I can I can make progress, but it's not so easy that I like beat it every time or whatever. Even after hundreds of hours, uh, I don't know what that says about me, 
as a player. I think maybe it says more <laughs> about the design of Spelunky, I hope. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just so engaging. And um, Hearthstone is the other one mm. that I get uh, super addicted to. Um, I, I think I finally kicked that habit now, but now I'm also getting, now I'm getting back into Magic the Gathering Arena, which is kind of like <laughs> the alternative to Hearthstone there. Sure. Uh, there's something about these, these uh, collectible card games where it's, it's, there's just so much variation and, you know, playing against... The, the thing about the computer versions is there's always someone to play against. Ah, uh, good Back call. in the day, you know, you had to find someone else with a deck. You had to go to a card game store or something and you know, had to go out of the way. Now you can just have a game with some random somebody all the time and you never know what's going to happen in that game. It's that randomization again that, that keeps it fresh for me. I know. It, I, it, I guess... Uh, that would that would be not that appealing to you because uh, well, you but know. oddly enough, I love Magic: The Gathering, but I like the physical okay. form. Like you know what I mean? Uh, I get yeah. nostalgia. I grew up on Magic when it first started oh, sure. becoming available in the nineties. I had all the decks. I still have my decks still to this day from the nineties, which probably wouldn't hold up in today's world because no, you know so many new type of stuff. Yeah. Right? Exactly. So, but it's like I, I tried getting into the digital version. There's just something about the physical, holding them, smelling them, seeing the person across, having your certain amount of beads and the way yours look versus against whoever, because everyone had their own beads. Like, you know, it's not like what you see online. People would come out with these like little rubies and these little people would use money sometimes and like, and then you just see the people's personalities. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's different in person. So I never really got into the digital part. The personalities really did come out in their decks. I played. I had a group of friends that I played every lunch period in high school and, right. and after school every day. And you know, it, it hurts me now to look back because we didn't have sleeves on the cards or anything, so we were slapping down. Me too. That- Don't worry. I learned about sleeves <laughs> after the fact. <laughs> That's why, and that's why the cards are worth so much now because no one treated them nicely back as a kid back in the day. You know, because now, now if they're in good condition, that's you know who was keeping their cards in in good condition back then? They were meant to be played with, and uh, so that, that I never had any of the you know Power Nine or anything really worth a lot of money. But I I had a bunch of cards that I'm like, man, I I ruined those cards. They're, they can't be worth anything now. See, I, I maybe they should do this and correct me if I'm wrong if they don't have it, but. Sort of like a video where you have you see the people playing your deck because you don't need to be in person obviously because you have your own deck so it's not like you share instead of just seeing the deck and having an avatar like having a full video of the table of your table and your face so you could see and talk to each other while you're playing the game like I, I think if I, someone I, did something like that and have like tournaments I think that would be a lot better than what we have digitally online now. Yeah, that might exist. I, I wouldn't know. You you would need some sort of like overhead camera yeah. thing, like, like like they do with pinball. Exactly. These days. Um, I don't know. So I don't know. Would people really buy that setup just to play uh, the digital game, the, the physical game, rather than just uh, playing Magic: The Gathering Arena or something? But uh, I would I would definitely look at I would definitely look at it. I would definitely try it. Right. Yeah. It's something new, of course. Okay. So you you said it too. You talked to a ton of people. From Microsoft, from video game, from everything for, for this book, right? Mm-hmm. How many did you end up talking to, and was there anyone left out that you wish you got a hold of? I think uh, it ended up being eight or nine in, in-depth interviews. Okay, that's not uh, too bad. Still book, a lot. Yeah, and plus a lot of you know quoting from old articles from ah, the nineties. Gotcha. Uh, you know, newspapers and uh, magazines that covered Minesweeper, especially mm-hmm. you know the moral panic over it that we talked about. Um, I would have loved to have Bill or Melinda Gates talk oh. about uh, Minesweeper. <laughs> um, you know, they're a little busy these days with other things. I'm not sure they want to stop and talk about uh, this this little uh, waste of time game that they played, uh, you know, 30 years ago. Um, also, one of the ones 
one of the, one of the things I regret is that um, one of the creators of Minesweeper, uh, Kurt Johnson, uh, died a few years before I started to research oh, for the book. Oh yes, you brought him up. And he he only did what one or two interviews over the years. He was oh. not. I, I don't know. For me, if I created something like Minesweeper, that's like a household name that's got billions of copies out there, it would be the first thing I'd bring up every time I meet someone <laughs> new. Like, steer the conversation. Oh, you know Minesweeper? That game? Yeah, that, that was me. I did that. I made I made that game. They were not really proud of this game. It was just it was just a side project that they worked on. They weren't game so developers, um, and you know they they kind of saw it as a time waster that they, they were kind of ashamed almost of um, wasting so many people's times and, and the work they did on Microsoft word or Microsoft office was more important to them. They thought it was more valuable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that kind of struck me uh, as interesting because like I said, for me, it would be uh, the highlight of my career to make something that was so beloved. But it's double-edged sword because, again, you brought it up too that it wasn't monetarily taken advantage of. Like, it didn't make that much money if you think about it by itself, right? I don't think anyone was really buying Windows because it came with a free copy of Minesweeper. <laughs> They're like, oh, can I get, should I get a Windows machine or should I get a Mac? Oh, well, if I buy Windows, Minesweeper comes with it. You know, that's not a thing that happened. So it was kind of just, you know, a vestigial appendage on Windows for, for decades there. Um I think the the people who made the Windows Entertainment Pack games got uh, ten shares of Microsoft stock. Okay, which, uh, which is not bad, you know. Yeah. I think today that would be worth between a hundred and two hundred thousand dollars if after stock splits and 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 inflation since the nineties. Assuming they so, kept it this whole time, if they too. kept it, yeah. And uh, the funny thing is, they also got a Turbo Express handheld, the the NEC Turbo Graphics. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that was, you know, I guess that was the most coveted, expensive portable then. People really wanted to play Keith Courage on, on the toilet. I don't know. Um, but, you know, then, so, so you know, that's, for, for some side projects you did, that's, that's not a bad payday. But then if you spread that out over, you know, the four billion installations that Minesweeper got, it's like five ten thousandths of a penny per copy. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's not... I don't know. It, I, it, I'm thinking. I'm trying to imagine a world where Minesweeper came out and like they just sold it uh, standalone for two dollars, <laughs> rather than giving it away for free to every Windows owner. And in in that situation, it's probably just another cult classic puzzle game that you know people who bought it remember, uh, rather than the kind of thing that is just a phenomenon that, that defines a generation of gamers. No, for sure. And again, I, it's a household name. It's like everyone knows what Minesweeper is. Like if you don't know who Minds, what Minesweeper is and you were alive in the 90s until now, then obviously then there's something seriously wrong. You don't know anything when it comes to video games, right? But even so, it's it lives outside the bubble. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's that you were, if you were alive in the 90s, it's the key part there because the younger generation, uh, you know, maybe, I think parents are introducing their kids to it these days if they have a Windows oh, machine. Good point. You know. But, but a lot of kids, you know, they don't – maybe they have a gaming PC, but a lot of them are playing on iPhone or iPad or um, they're playing on consoles, which are not really well-suited to Minesweeper. You know, there are ports for those, but it's really built for a mouse, a, a two-button mouse. Right. Uh, using it with a, a, an analog joystick or a touchscreen where you have to switch between marking the mines and that not marking weird. the mines. It never works quite as well. You can do it. Um 
But what I found actually with, with younger people, a lot of them, you know, before for our generation, the default was going to the start menu and finding Minesweeper. Today, if you type Minesweeper into Google, you get a playable version right there in the search results. Oh, really? And, and, and that's kind of the thing where kids will pass it along. Like, hey, ah. if you type Minesweeper into Google, you can play a game. It's like an Easter here's egg. How, and here's how the game works. Yeah. yeah. And then people get hooked on that version. So for, you know, for people 20, 30 years younger than <laughs> us, that's the version they're going to remember. Like, hey, remember that Minesweeper game that was part of Google? They're not, they don't associate it with Windows. They don't associate it with Microsoft. It's, it lives on uh, through that. And that's kind of fascinating to me. No, and again, top to bottom, fantastic read. If again, if you've played Minesweeper, if you heard of Minesweeper, please pick up this book. It is fantastic. Thank you so much, Kyle, for coming aboard today, sharing some thoughts behind the scenes of the book. Promote what you want to promote, your socials, the book. Floor is all yours, my friend. Uh, yeah, go buy it from uh, bossfightbooks.com. The uh, paperback should be out by the time you hear this, or there's an ebook. Uh, you can also buy it on Amazon if you want to give me a little less money. <laughs> Uh, I'm Kyle ORL on Twitter for now, as long as Twitter uh, sticks around, and uh, go to Ars Technica and uh, read the stuff I write about video games for 11 more years, I hope. There you go. And for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast app. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast app at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors because if it helps them out, most definitely helps me out. And if this is the first time you're listening to the podcast and you like what you heard, please go back and listen to other Boss Fight Books authors such as Elise Knorr, David L. Craddock, and Gabe Durham, or... Episodes featuring people in the video game industry, such as Mike Micah, Tommy Tellerico, and Howard Scott Warsaw, just to name a few. All right, my friend, one last question before I let you go. Okay. All right. How else do you think Minesweeper can evolve, or has it actually hit its peak and this is it? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't think Minesweeper will ever come back to the culture ubiquity it had. It had, you know, it had to be that moment in the 90s where before the internet... Uh, pre-installed on every Windows machine. You know, things have been too fractured now. Uh, you'd have to have a game that was built into the iPhone or something, and I don't think that's going to happen. Mm. Uh, I guess Apple could do it, but even then, there's so much competition from free games. Uh, you know, so it was really, it was really one particular moment in time uh, that led to it. But as, as far as evolving the game uh, itself, uh, you know, there are countless. Uh, examples of people who are just running with the concept there's like a ford a 4d version of minesweeper oh. that i saw that like it's mind-bending it's you're adjacent to, instead of just to adjacent to eight squares you're adjacent to 3d and oh. also a fourth dimension that you can't even see oh wow you adjacent up to like a thousand squares it, i don't understand it at all. <laughs> um My there's a version hurts. where every every square you click plays like a chord and you have to figure out how many different instruments are in that chord okay and then that is the number that that means if so if it's a one, you only hear one instrument. If it's okay. a three, you hear three instruments. Gotcha. So it's like a music game. So people, these are just a few examples. People are just running with the concept. And, you know, even the official version of Microsoft Minesweeper, now you have to download it from the Windows Store. Uh, but it has something called Adventure Mode. Oh. It kind of goes yeah. goes back to the roots of the game where you were, instead of clicking all the squares, you're working from one end to the other. Uh, so it's kind of like that, but it also has items. You can find pickaxes to break through walls. You can find explosives to blow up a certain area and find treasure chests. Right. And you're trying to get to the door. So it's it's still the same basic Minesweeper gameplay with the numbers and stuff, but it's it's like an Indiana Jones-style dungeon crawler. Uh, and they've, they've made it a roguelike 
essentially. Uh, that's one of the, one of my favorite ways to play. You know, it, there's no time. There's no timer there. You're mm. just you can take your time. You can and you can think about: Do I want to use this item? Do I not want to use this item? You know, how do I get? How do I maximize my gold? And uh, you know, I think if people want to iterate on that, you know, the possibilities are endless. I'm going to throw my hat out there as a suggestion for an evolve. I like that Indiana Jones type because you did bring this up in the book too, where it's side scrolling. Because I totally forgot about that and whatever. Add that, take that, and mm-hmm. make it like a Tetris ninety nine. But I'll call it Minesweeper sixty four and start off with sixty four players. Do like a bracket that. style elimination because then you'll eventually dwindle down to two at the end. And you have five minute rounds. Whoever gets to the end first or uncovers the most mines moves on. Minesweeper battle royale. I really like it. Right. And then you could send maybe you could send extra mines to like, oh, exactly or like, yes. or like obscure some of their things so they have to click again. Yes, I think I think you're onto something here. There All you right. go, there you go. No one listens to this far into a podcast, so don't worry, no one's going to pick this up. So we're safe. This is, this is a, this is a free idea. I hope someone picks it up. If you're a game developer <laughs> out there, just make this. Microsoft, you know, doesn't own the term Minesweeper, as far as I can tell. So you can make as many clones as you want. Do uh, you know someone with game programming skill? Get on it. Just put a special thanks to Kyle and myself for, for that idea then. <laughs> That's awesome. On that note, he's Kyle. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace.